Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we delve into the history of political scandals, from Watergate to Partygate, and now Mitigate. Right out of the gate, after much discussion, mitigation funding has finally arrived. But with high expectations, there's a lot hinging on this. Premium increases are expected to continue for some time at the expense of new customers. I heard that Bill Gates was going on and on about it on Twitter with Elon Musk, as he thinks it's going to lengthen the hard market cycle. You might say it's going to elongate. And El Nino is looking increasingly likely this year, but the news isn't all bad for Australia. There's no pun there, I just hope this intro hasn't taken offence. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by senior journalist Miranda Maxwell, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks and chairman Terry McMullen. Hello Terry. Hello Andrew. What's your favourite political scandal? There are so many, and I, I really can't talk about the political scandals I'm aware of because I may just go to jail. Oh, hi, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. The same question for you. What's your most memorable scandal? I don't know. There's been an awful lot of them, haven't there? I seem to remember fusses about televisions and Paddington Bears at some point in the past, but I can't remember what it was all about. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Miranda. Have you got one? Oh, I have been enjoying the Boris Johnston and all the party gates and lockdown parties. That's been fun. What I've noticed, it doesn't look like much of a party to get in trouble with. No, it looked a bit ordinary. Hello, John. Hello. I expect any scandal from you is all about the ashes. Scandal of a first innings declaration, yeah. Or the scandal of picking the wrong wicketkeeper. But fingers crossed, we'll get away with it. And by we, you mean the team that probably 99% of our listeners are not supporting. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, after years of reporting industry demands for more mitigation funding, it's finally arrived, John. Yes, that's right. The The industry really has been making this point for an awful long time. And that figure that just 3% of disaster spending is, is on prevention and, and 97% after the fact. Uh, it's kind of seared into my brain. It's been rolled out so many times over the years. But, but now, hopefully, that balance is starting to shift. As we've said, the federal government has committed to spending $200 million a year for five years, and this will be matched by states and territories. And the round one projects of this Disaster Ready Fund have now been approved. There are 187 of them, and there's a link to the full list from our website. On top of this, we've also recently had the announcement of a new flood levy for Bundaberg, which is funded separately, but it's a major project. Of course, insurers are delighted with all of this, but they want more. Five years isn't long enough. They want a longer-term plan, and the funding has to be indexed so that it doesn't decline in real terms. Yeah. When these projects are complete, Terry, there'll uh, be an expectation that premiums will fall. What happens if they don't? Well, the experience we usually fall back on to support the hypothesis that if you make it safer, premiums will go down is two towns in, in Midwestern Queensland, Emerald and Roma. Uh, they regularly flooded when the rivers they're built on broke their banks. And after the 2011 floods, Suncorp threatened to walk away from the town as basically uninsurable, which was fair enough. It paid out 150 million in flood claims for a total four million in premium, uh, which is you know unsustainable. After the levies were built around, I think it was about 2015, the home and contents premium for those places dropped by a considerable amount. So 
Look, premiums are set on the probability of the risk happening. So you could expect the same rule as Emerald and Roma might apply today, but I emphasise expect because that was then and now is a very different ballgame. Well, Wendy, IAG gave investors an update last week. How are they tracking? Well, they said they're trending towards their profit margin guidance, which was um, something they actually downgraded earlier this year after a tough first half. Uh, But now they're seeing the benefits from premium increases that they put through um, in that first six months when they were really chasing rising inflation. Um, And they say there's more pricing increases to come. So it's really driving that, you know, that top line uh, growth. You know, this is obviously still necessary given the reinsurance and perils costs and inflation still a factor. But they they did have a five-year plan to add 1 million extra uh, customers, which they announced an investor day uh, back in uh, 2021. They say that might take a little bit longer. And they've also narrowed their uh, medium-term margin target to to 15% compared to a previous range of uh, 15 15 to 17. And then uh, I guess on a, a positive note, they uh, they mentioned that they're getting uh, higher returns on their shareholder funds. So they're getting a bit of a boost on the investment side there. What seems that increasing premiums is more important than gaining new customers right now, Terry? Yeah, I, I guess that's the point of the cycle where we're at, if the cycle really still exists. High premiums, insurers shedding customers with non-vanilla risks. It, it indicates we're pretty much at the top of the mountain before hopefully an improving economy, gradually relaxed terms and and lower premiums kick in and we whiz down the other side as insurers begin to compete for more business. But uh, it's look, it's not a typical cycle at all and insurers face a range of challenges today that'll keep them focused on really accurate pricing of risks and facing higher profits. They really need those to get those profits right. Maybe the days of fierce competition at the top end really are gone. I I guess time will tell. Well, um, El Nino is increasingly likely, Miranda, but it might not all be bad news for Australia. Yes, it feels a bit tone deaf to say El Nino can be a positive because, of course, we know it brings dry conditions and drought, coral bleaching and horrendous bushfires like Black Saturday. But this report from Aon is strictly talking about insured losses. So in those terms, El Nino is likely to be a big improvement on La Nina because it brings more stable conditions and doesn't bring the floods and cyclones, which we know broke insurance loss records last year in Australia and also in New Zealand with Cyclone Gabrielle and the Auckland floods. So... While bushfire is devastating, it's not as costly as flooding, which has now cost the insurance industry $23.5 billion since 1967, which is more than hailstorms and only overtaken by cyclones. So Aon saying that after three years of back-to-back La Ninas, we are likely to have some relief and lower total insured loss years in Australia And it says we could even get an El Nino-like phase for the decade ahead. So should we just relax, enjoy the warm weather and play some cricket then, John? No, I don't think we should do that. Certainly on an individual uh, basis, home home and business owners would be wise to prepare for the possibility of bushfires. Aon makes a very good point that El Nino is preferable to La Nina 
from an insured losses point of view, as Miranda says. And and while that's true, we should remember the Black Summer of 2019-20 pretty well, which showed us just how devastating bushfires can be in our warming climate. Those losses were not insignificant at all. And let's not forget that there's a theory out there that smoke from those fires helped to trigger the triple La Nina that caused us so much grief over the last few years. Rather than an El Nino, possibly combined with a positive Indian Ocean dipole, I'm sure insurers would prefer a nice, calm, neutral phase. But I suppose we get what we get. Well, Wendy, Finity's been taking a close look at the commercial lines market. What did they find? Well, they point out that, you know, the, the past year has been the fifth consecutive year of double-digit premium growth for the commercial lines market. Uh, but as a result of that, uh, underwriting profits have improved and there's some additional capacity entering entering the market, um, particularly from overseas. So now in some areas like financial lines, you're getting more of a pricing moderation and, you know, in some areas of D&O cover even a decline. But looking at uh, property particularly, inflation is going to remain a factor there, you know, even though um, the pace has eased off a bit, it's it's not disappearing. And liability also remains a difficult area. Um, and you've got, you know, historic abuse claims, work injury claims, psychological claims have led to insurers needing higher reserves and higher premiums and uh, increased deductibles for, for work injuries. Policyholders could do with a break from increases, couldn't they, Terry? Can you see much hope for them? Geez, Andrew, my crystal ball's starting to overheat here. Look, premium rises are going to ease off at some point, I guess. But the rises, but as I said before, I doubt premiums will drop as much as really plateau. It's been a long and tough ride, five years in a hard market, but we're seeing capital returning to some sectors of commercial lines. And they'd only be there if the returns are looking better. So again, we can expect some moderation of premiums and and even more availability, which is just as important as the market recovers. But we won't see much in the way of lower prices. The the Finity report really lays out very clearly where we're at. And every broker, I reckon, and everybody out there who's really interested in where the industry is going should regard this as some excellent bedtime reading. Well, finally, Miranda, the latest Hayes report on recruitment has some insurance-specific findings. What are those? Yes, this is an annual survey, and this time it found insurance is still right up there in the top 10 for industries hardest hit by a shortage of skilled staff. So insurance placed seventh, and Hayes says this bodes well for salary review time, particularly if you are a property and casualty underwriter a commercial broker or liability claims consultant. So we've known for a while that employers are struggling to hire skilled personnel and Hayes is saying that this is now an entrenched skills recession and unlikely to change anytime soon with the shortage predicted to last well into the 2030s. So it looks like pay rises of varying sizes are on the cards at review time And Hayes also says not to ignore flexible working and training and what it calls the emotional salary, which is the right mix of benefits, upskilling and personal fulfilment. Well, if this skill shortage is another decade to run, John, firstly, do you reckon I could get a job? But secondly, and probably more importantly, insurance businesses had better start getting to grips with it, hadn't they? Yeah, they had. I mean, a lot would say they're doing doing a lot of work already. But uh, I think one thing that's very clear 
is that we've got to stop just shifting the current talent pool around. There's a bit of a, a merry-go-round, isn't there, at the moment. There just aren't enough specialists to go around and, and tempting them from company to company just exacerbates the sort of spiralling wage issue. We've got to attract more young talent and also invest in training so that people who are currently working in other industries can be convinced to come across to insurance. Insurance might not be the highest profile career option, but it does have a great story to tell and a great purpose. I mean, you've only got to think of all the people and businesses that it that it helps through adversity. We've just got to get that message across more effectively. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Miranda Maxwell, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.